Well, thank you for, uh, for having us here. Uh, about a year ago, Paul Shea and I were hanging out at the uh, Montana His or it was a Museum Association in Montana, right? And we both have this uh, interest in how the, the railroad shapes our communities, obviously buildings for me and Livingston for him. So I'm actually really excited about his program to see how we parallel or how they differ. I think I, I'm speaking on behalf of you now, Paul, but uh, maybe it's more about economics. For me, it's really about this built environment. And this is a program that I do really for people in buildings, uh, for walking tours, for public programs, and uh, also for visitors coming to buildings to look at the shape of our town, how the railroad shaped our town, and how it impacts us today. So, and I do have 46 slides in 25 minutes. Should I set an alarm? Well, Paul, Paul will give me some signal, okay? Here we go. So we're going to go pretty quickly, but you're going to get a snapshot of the influence of the railroad. Um, Abraham Lincoln signs the Transcontinental Railroad Act in 1864, which is one of the three major transcontinental lines that will crisscross the United States. The Northern Pacific is the one that concerns us today, coming through the northern tier states between Puget Sound and Lake Superior. So, um, I love the sign, it's in Hardin. Uh, wherever the rails went, they brought sudden sweeping change to the landscapes and communities through which they passed. And of course, the railroad was one of the contributing factors disrupting basically the Native American life. So, and then uh, on a lighter note, I have this uh, New Yorker uh, cartoon, which I really love because this really talks about buildings and some of too. Uh, this would be a great place to put a huge city. So. <laughs> We know we're in the middle of the Yellowstone River Valley, so people recognized before Billings was created that there was an opportunity to come and establish a town and uh, thrive because the railroad was going to come this way. So folks from Bozeman set up, set up a town called Colson. Um, they made one mistake. They named it after the Colson Steamboat Packet Company. Of course, Billings is named after the railroad president. Um, but they, you know, they knew the tracks were going to come through the two sandstone gap. They were going to come through the gap at some point. So the town was established just a year after the Battle of Little Bighorn in 1877, and they waited. They waited for that time when the railroad would arrive. Um, they didn't foresee a couple things, a survey that I'll talk about, and also the fact that uh, Billings and the railroad had a different think, thinking. So when you look at the Yellowstone River Valley, the way I have a diagram is like beads on a string. When you get into the year 1881 to 82 to 83, the railroad basically looked at the Yellowstone River Valley and created these cities, these division points. Glendive on the upper right, uh, the larger of the two stars toward the middle, the smaller one is Miles City or Miles Town. Forsyth, Billings is the big star. I try to make Livingston the same size, out of respect, out of Paul. Um, you know, the railroad space of towns about 100 to 125 miles apart, from Fargo to Jamestown to Bismarck to Dickinson. They come into the Yellowstone River Valley, they do the same thing, from Glendive to Forsyth to Billings to Livingston. Really incredible creation, if you think about it, almost, you know, over the top in some ways. So Billings, you know, gives his name to this town. I mean, you look at where the Billings is designed and set up, it's in the central Yellowstone River Valley. He's not going to give his name to a town I hope nobody's from Heisham here. <laughs> Which grows into Heisham, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, he, he's going to give his name to a town he knows and feels is going to thrive. That's going to be a fairly large town. 
So we're named after Frederick Billings. The, uh, uh, he was a Northern Pacific Railway president in 1879-81. He was involved with the uh, land uh, company before that that actually got the railroad moving from Bismarck in 1873 across the Northern Plains. There's even a Billings County, North Dakota, on the west side of North Dakota. Um, Gold Rush lawyer from 1849, a conservationist in New England, it's a talk to itself. So, And I believe Johnson Livingston actually is the one who got Frederick Billings' face on the stock certificates. So Billings is announced, the people at Colson are shocked when Billings is announced. They have a new city that's going to be platted out right where we are in this moment. Um, on April 8, 1882, the Colson Post announces new city to be built, named after the president of the Northern Pacific, former president of the Northern Pacific Railway. A week later, the Colson Post changes its nameplate to the Billings and Colson Post. So it only took about a week. <laughs> By June 3rd, the Colson Post, even though there's really nothing out on the flats yet called Billings, uh, renames itself the Billings Post, which become predecessor of the Billings Gazette. So people at Colson realized the power of the railroad in, 18, in the spring of 1882, that Billings would really be dominant. Uh, one thing to point out is you can see Colson was built alongside the Yellowstone River. Billings was built out on the flats away from the river. This is something that still actually is part of our discussions today of who we are as a community, the fact that we were built away from the Yellowstone River, and I'll address that in a second. So what happened in Billings is the folks at Colson didn't realize the baseline for survey was designed and set up to go right through their community. And that'll have an impact because the railroads received 40, uh, uh, every other odd-numbered section of land for 40 miles on either side of the track to help finance the railroad. It was an incredible government uh, giveaway in some ways. So you can see here the, the Meridian line, the survey lines right here, and they're designed for uh, the gold rush. They wanted to have the most accurate measurements in southwestern Montana, but that baseline for survey runs across the state, comes right through here. So people from Billings, Grand Avenue, which is a major thoroughfare in Billings, was known as Baseline Avenue. You can almost figure out where the baseline comes. Oh, excuse me. Uh, the baseline meets at the corner of the Division Street and Grand Avenue. That's the corner of one of the sections that will be Billings. And that's uh, illustrated here. So what happens along the baseline is this may come as a shock. But the earth is not flat. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a checkerboard that goes on continually. You have to compensate for the curvature of the earth, and that's what you do at these correction lines, at this baseline. So what happened is the railroad looked at that correction line as it came in and realized it had two square miles overlapping. They could disregard Colson and basically control these two square miles. And this is the corner of the Division Street and this is the corner of Grand Avenue. So you can kind of get your orientation to where the railroad town really happens here in Billings. Here's a better illustration of it right here. Division Street, the west edge of the section. State Avenue is the bottom of the section. Um, North 32nd and the McKinley School neighborhood follows the original orientation of that plat. Excuse me. One of the really cool things for us here in Billings is we live in this 
design. We live in this orientation of the streets. So for us in Billings, you can ask almost anybody. No one will say South Park is just south of North Park. You have to see it in a map. So here's the lower section. Here's South Park, designed in 1882. Directly north is North Park in 1882. So because we live in kind of an encapsulated world of these odd angles, from our perspective, where I work at the Western Heritage Center, South Park is just south of us, and North Park seems like it's way over there. You know, so you have to see the map this way, this orientation of how precise this uh, um, you know, arrangement was, but also the fact that the railroad kind of sliced its tracks to these two sections. One of the things that you can see in Billings that marks us, these, the railroad plat versus the cardinal directions, are these little triangular parks that occur. Uh, State Avenue, I think that's on the bottom. Along North 32nd up here, you'll see all these little triangular parks. And then also across the Division Street. Uh, they're like those, those triangles are made and designed so to compensate for that big shift. So you can tell where the edge of the railroad plat is in those instances. I mentioned too, you know, you can see in this map that the core of the downtown is pretty much away from the Yellowstone River. And I always, I think I argue uh, that that's one of the reasons we focus on the rim so much here in Billings as our great natural feature. I mean, this is the Yellowstone River that comes through Billings, but we don't have the connection that places like Missoula do to the Clark Fork or, uh, uh, for example, the Great and Great Falls with the Missouri, where it's very prevalent. But here, you know, Billings was built away from the river, so our, our defining natural feature really is the rim rocks, and these are two examples from the colleges here in the 1930s. We've really come a long way, haven't we, at MSU Billings? <laughs> You know, so you can see the general pattern, how we're built away from the river, the railroad will put its tracks in the middle of downtown. Those two significant things still play into our future planning here in Billings. And then as an aside, the other thing that happens in 1883 is the way we think about time, and this is a broader topic. So I love this quote from uh, the Billings Herald in 1883. One of the wants of a town is a good bell so that some standard time could be kept and more prompt attendance secured at church, school, or other public assemblages. At present, everyone, everyone is a rule unto himself as regards times, and confusion is sometimes the result. You know, it's funny because we live in a time where we all have watches, but it makes you realize the significance of the church bell, the school bell. People live more or less in sun time. You could actually have a different time on your watch in Model City than you could here in Billings. So here's an example of why the bell is so important. And the way it connects to the railroad is in the same month, the railroad would establish the time zones. So once you establish transcontinental lines that sweep across the whole nation, there's a need to organize everybody to agree on what time is. Because you can't sit around Billings waiting 20, 30 minutes for passenger service or freight service. So it's the railroads that institute time zones, which is really significant in terms of how we think about our world. Because we're all, um, I see you still have 17 minutes. Um, so that, that's significant in a broader spectrum. So again, it's happening at the same time that Billings and Livingston are established. 
So Billings um, has a very unique design, a design that was favored by the Northern Pacific Railway through North Dakota and into the Yellowstone River Valley. Basically, very simply called a symmetrical design. You put the railroad smack through the middle of downtown, and you name your two most significant streets uh, uh, on either side of the track. In this instance, the Minnesota and Montana Land Improvement Company sold plats here in Billings named Montana Avenue north of the tracks, Minnesota Avenue south of the tracks. And so, again, you can see how this is designed. Uh, one thing that's really significant here in this image is what I call the tale of two cities. When I came to Billings in 1990, I was told, you know, watch out for the south side, you know. Like, it was like some recent phenomena, you know. But if you look if you look back to 1882, when the railroads split the town in half, it really is the tale of two cities. It created two towns at that point, by separating the city in half. One of the things that really marks it off is my little blue star there, which is which side of the depot do you put the depot? So if you think about a town where the railroad is a significant player, and it goes right through the middle of downtown, once you establish what side the depot is going to be on, you start favoring that side of town. So, for example, in downtown Billings at the time, you had, um, you had um, storefronts on Montana Avenue on the top facing 300 feet across the tracks to storefronts facing the tracks on Minnesota Ave. So it was pretty open. So once you put the depot on the north side of the tracks, it really favors that side of the track. You know, you don't want everybody saying, well, let's cross the tracks and go to the prosperous side of town. And this is really interesting about Billings, and I, I, don't, I don't know how it works for Livingston, but the way the town was designed was purposeful in the sense that they built all these long, narrow blocks or businesses facing the tracks on Montana Ave and also on Minnesota Ave. So you can see an example, Montana Ave does not look like that anymore, but you can see all those long, narrow businesses facing the track. It's giving you the impression of a prosperous community. You're getting uh, civic uh, you know, capitalists from Minneapolis coming out and investing in uh, these businesses along trackside. So if you're in Billings, the only alleyway that runs roughly east to west is the alley behind the first block of Montana Avenue and the first block of Minnesota Ave. All the alleys then start running roughly north to south at that point. So the orientation is specific towards the tracks. The only place you can really see this, these long narrow buildings are now on Minnesota Avenue. Because um, Minnesota Avenue would lag behind what's the more prosperous side of the tracks, which is the north side. So the north side of the tracks gets the depot. The four major churches are established right away on the north side. The, the county courthouse is on the north side. The city hall is on the north side. Major banks are on the north side. It kind of just follows. And even advertisers, and this will play into the story of the south side, um, advertisers building residential areas up in the McKinley School neighborhood north of us would advertise. You get the clean, pure breeze from the west, right in your home, before it passes through the city. So it was a way to promote the neighborhoods to the northwest of us, you know what I mean? It would be nice and clean air, so. So one of the things that happens in Billings 
is, as I said, the first depot was built on the north side of the track. This is actually the second depot, and we're very close to this right now. We're at, here's the northern hotel right here, uh, the northern uh, that burned in 1940, but this is the old northern, so you're looking south toward the depot. They see as the city starts to prosper and in a sense move away from the tracks as the dominant feature from the 1880s and 1890s, by closing off the depot, they rename North 28th North Broadway and they begin their focus in this area of town. So the city's leaders now have established themselves after 20 years and they really become aggressive about almost creating what I say, like a secondary town coming up North Broadway. All the buildings near here are from that time period. The building I work in, the Parmley Billings Library, I consider as pivotal because it's one of the first public buildings built on the track with its back to the tracks. And so once you do that, you begin this process of filling in the track. And that becomes an issue later on because what happens is we get a second railroad here, the Chicago Burlington Quincy, we'll get the Great Northern here, and now you have a design where the railroad is kind of pinched into the downtown. You have all these warehouses, the public library, all kind of filling in that gap. And so what happens is you get uh, eventually the town of Laurel sprouts from that. Uh, you can see how it's filling in in this photo from the Montana Historical Society. Billings by 1908 becomes the largest populace in the Yellowstone River Valley. It becomes the transportation center. And then the city of Laurel will be created to accommodate the Great Northern Line. Instead of coming to Billings, the Great Northern Line comes through Echo Canyon, wraps around Phipps Park, and goes directly to Laurel, where Laurel had a downtown only on one side, roughly. And that way you could expand track rights all the way out. So Laurel is potentially an outgrowth of Billings' bad design. So. Is that a good thing for Laurel? I think so, all right. So here we are, uh, we're, real, we're at the same location today. You can kind of see by 1912 when the trolley's running, uh, the Northern has been built, the Stapleton building, kitty corner to it, becomes kind of the heart of the downtown, which is illustrated in this map here of the streetcar system. So the streetcar system in Billings, all the streetcars basically cross right at the corner out here on first and Broadway, which kind of shows you how the town has moved from having the railroad as a central focus to having this block out here as a central focus, just as a matter of 20 years. Another illustration of that is the Hart Alman building in downtown. The Hart Alman starts as many buildings do on the track side, facing the tracks. By 1906, as the city started to prosper, it's pretty cool that I can see the building from here. The Stapleton, which is our first skyscraper, the Hart Alman Company becomes the anchor tenant for the Stapleton building in 1906. Wait another decade and they'll build their own building just another block up. So you can even see businesses moving the same way that the city is moving. The south side has a very different story. Um, because of this segregation or separation, uh, one of the questions, excuse me, one of the questions about the south side is, which way does the wind blow? So if you think about the town being split in half and then doing it, splitting it again, where are you going to put the smellier stuff in town? You put it downwind. And so the south side becomes the receiver of the industrial part of town. Excuse me. 
So you can see here in this particular map, this is that lower section, the original lower section with State Avenue, Division Street, the industrial complex is put along the riverside, which impacts us today because not only is Billings built away from the river, but the industrial zone almost acts as a barrier to the river with the oil and gas developments, stockyards, uh, the sugar beet factory and such. Uh, and because of that, that's going to change the, the flavor of the south side. Here's the stockyards on the south side. Uh, another flavor of the south side, a four-block area for prostitution on Minnesota Avenue. I had a hard time preparing. I, you know, I, I, I did a search for, uh, well, this is really interesting. You can see the, the Sanborn Fire Insurance map. It says saloon, female boarding house, female boarding house, female boarding house, female my, my poor uh, former wife said, well, maybe there was a woman's college in town. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have no record of. And plus, the places were called like the Lucky Diamond and the Mexican and on and on. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that takes part of that character. And then another thing that happens is when the sugar factory is built in 1907 on the south side, it invites immigrants to come to Billings to settle in the area, to become big players in terms of this town's history. Uh, the first is 500 Germans from Russia are recruited from the Lincoln, Nebraska area to come and help work the sugar beet fields. They'll also go to the Huntley Project, which is just opening an irrigation project out just uh, uh, northeast of us here. And the German-Russians are not going home. Their, their villages are being burned back in Germany, or I'm sorry, in Russia. Uh, they're, they're here to stay. They're really settling in to become a major part of our history. And uh, at one point, there were three German-speaking churches on the south side of Billings. By the 1920s, the sugar factory is relying on Hispanic populations, Mexican nationals, uh, Hispanics from Colorado. Uh, the issue they had with the Hispanic populations is every four months they would move. They would migrate around the United States. And the sugar factory really wanted year-round labor. So what they did is the sugar factory itself built a huge housing complex for the Hispanic populations in the 1930s next to the sugar factory. And that's a fantastic photo of it uh, here lower in 1936 and and keeping the, the Hispanic population here year-round and even today the Germans from Russia population and the Hispanic populations are still very prevalent on Billings south side and uh, the German and Russians also in live in Laurel so uh, a little thing about the river here so you can see kind of the industrial corridor that would have separated us from the river where I have the arrow there, it's very interesting in Billings. We have this incredible schizophrenic relationship with the river. You know, we have this industrial corridor here, but upstream of that circle, there's the civic leaders of the time realized we need clean water. That's our water intake for the city of Billings, where that circle is. So for almost four miles upstream, this is what the river looks like. It's pretty much undeveloped. Beautiful, pristine parks all the way up river. So we have like, it's very different from like Missoula or Great Falls, you know? This, this is like this clear mark between an industrial river and then this beautiful, undeveloped kind of part of the river, so. 
Uh, as I said, there were two more railroads that came into town. The Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy would tie Billings into the south to Colorado, and then the, the uh, Great Northern would wrap down from the High Line and come down. As I mentioned earlier, the uh, Laurel is kind of an outgrowth of that process. So the other thing is a third railroad was then created where it is today, the depot, uh, uh, just a few blocks down uh, where we had the reception, uh, was created as the Union Depot. It was the passenger service for the Great, Nor or the Great Northern, the Northern Pacific, and the Chicago, Burlington, Quincy. So all three could go and you get passenger service to almost anywhere in the United States, including like small towns. You could go down to Prior Gap, you could go to Cody, you could go to Lewistown, all, especially between 1910 and 1920, before the automobile really starts uh, kind of damaging those spur lines. So the, um, this becomes the central part of town. Montana Avenue is really developed at that point. So a lot of the buildings, like the Rex Hotel, the Ego Hotel, uh, where Chow Mambo is today, the restaurant, uh, the Enterprise Garage, are all developed when the depot is built down that way. And the depot would have significant impact until the 1970s when Amtrak stopped their passenger service. And the depot was abandoned basically in 1979 into the 1980s. Uh, when I came to Billings in 1990, there was this great sign that came, came into town and said, Billings, the all-American city. We just happened to be filming it. And we got a picture of the sign, and then we took a right-hand turn on Montana Avenue, and it looked like Beirut. You know what I mean? And, and, we, and actually, at one point, you can hear Anne laughing. She's like, it's so pretty, you know? And it looked <laughs> terrible. The, so the railroad, even pulling out, has a very direct impact in that part of the neighborhood. And so an interesting thing happened. In 1992, there were still anchors on Montana Avenue, like the Western Heritage Center, the Rex Hotel, the Oxford the Antiques. Uh, but the filming of the movie Far and Away put everybody's eyes back on the old depot. Uh, so several of the scenes, several people in Billings are in the film itself, but you can see inside the depot the Tom Cruise, I think, is fighting that scene. Uh, a movement happens to renovate the, uh, the, the depot. Uh, there's a, a horse of course uh, event that happens that raises money, uh, money. And of course, this becomes one of our uh, you know, incredible uh, offerings that we have. And once that depot is reestablished, you'll see the growth of Montana Avenue and the renovations. The Minnesota Avenue property owners look north of the tracks and go, hey, that looks pretty good. And you should, now we're seeing the development of Minnesota Ave. So even later, after the railroad passenger service is long gone, you're still seeing an indirect impact. And then uh, last couple of slides here. Um, in, in 2009, Billings established a quiet zone along the tracks, which Having worked trackside for years, anybody who said that train whistle was a nostalgic thing was not trackside, trust me. <laughs> like by Friday, my nerves were shot, you know? Uh, so the quiet zone, you know, has like a little ding, ding, ding thing that goes on. Well, it really has invited people to live downtown. Uh, and so you see a lot of loft apartments downtown. People are moving downtown. Again, an indirect relationship, but very direct at the same time with the railroads. So. I think my last four slides are addressing what happens after Billings. Um, the focus of the town, orthogonal, here you can see kind of like what North Broadway becomes. Uh, the design after Billings and Livingston that's most popular is a T-shaped town. 
And this is where uh, historians get so excited, like when I was in a car with three people from the museum, and we went through Townsend, and we were like, oh my god, this is a classic T-shaped town. You know, and we were laughing, because who else would have that conversation, you know? The idea, of course, is that the railroad is one side, you have the highway, and when you come into the downtown, you have a main street. That becomes the preferred design in Montana. So I have a couple examples. Roundup, Montana, railroad, road, main street. Up on the high line, the Great Northern comes in later. You have towns like Harlem and Chinook on the right. You can see the examples. The idea was that the railroad realized after Billings Multiple crossings in your downtown is a bad idea. So again, it's an issue that we're still dealing with today in Billings. How to connect ourselves again to the river, and what do we do with the railroad track through the middle of downtown? So, thank you.